Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 71 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. First things first, how are you today, my friend? I had my first day in a new office today, and I got to... So wait, to, wait, 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 same job though, right? Let's same start with that. job. Same job, just different space. Title has changed slightly, actually, in my job because we there's a bit of restructuring, but my job is pretty much the same. Uh, but totally different space, totally different office. Uh, I say office uh, in terms of my own space that no longer exists. I used to have a door. I don't have that anymore because I'm living like them fancy tech folks in a open office. Which I am also uh, currently uh, in the midst of, I guess would be the best way of saying it. I live in, I work in the middle of an open office of like uh, 20-ish people. So it's kind of hectic sometimes. And like your open office, I sent you a picture of mine. Your open office, is it like more like one table? Like where no. like five no, people are at the same table? Or is it like mine where it's like sort it's, of open? You it's have units. Like it's units. Okay. So like me, sort of. Yeah. Except we don't have dividers like you do. So there's dividers between some desks, but the person who sits directly to my left and I'm to her right, uh, there's no divider between our desk. And you, you share nods together? Yeah. The desks are not the same, though. They're separated. And I must say, they're pretty fancy stand-sit desks. You press a button and it rises up silently and then press another button and lower silently. I'm actually kind of envious. Yeah, they're really well done, actually. I'm probably not going to stand. I usually just get up and walk around. But uh, I may try it. We'll see could be good for your back my friend it might be the change that you need in your life maybe i've, I've had a sore neck the last few days uh, why is that too much switch <laughs> no it hasn't have anything to do with my switch it's just uh, uh my age maybe i don't know i'm glad to hear that you survived your first day in gen pop congrats my friend uh i've been uh, there almost a year now with you so i feel uh like i understand and share uh, your pains of like having to make more eye contact uh frequent nodding uh, noises are much more prevalent all over the place. There's apparently this noise dampening foam in our ceiling, which uh, we have the, like those open ceilings where you see all the whatever the the the, the ducts and stuff like that. Uh, and I do find it's it's quiet. It's it's impressively quiet. I could use that for my house for my podcasting setup. Do you see a lot of people around you, like where you currently sit? Oh yeah, yeah, I see. Everything. Do you have an inter office like messaging system? We do, yeah. I think it's Skype for business. I'm going to teach you one of my favorite things to do. Please. Randomly message someone with the words, look behind you. Bah. <laughs> That's funny. It is very effective, my friend. Double density. I'd like to take a moment to celebrate our listeners. So a big thanks to Jason H. for sending an email with reference to episode 68, a.k.a. Orson Welles' big head hangs present in our minds. <laughs> so he and I exchanged a few emails about the ice caps on Mars, and I really appreciate Jason for using the contact form on our site and reaching out. Uh, as always, you can go ahead and click on the contact button on doubledensity.net to send us any kind of message you want, uh, podcast-related or not. We also give out uh, life advice, right? Maybe. Not always. But we will likely talk about it on the show. Yeah, so Jason, thank you very much for sending that our way. And uh, we look forward to any future correspondences that anyone wants to send uh, to us. And now shifting gears to uh, kind of what we want to talk about this week. The first thing, or uh, no, I'd rather just talk about being sad. Let's do that. Oh, uh, why are you sad, Brian? Well, so we were recording tonight and I was supposed to go see the Insane Clown Posse in, in concert. And I, it is not a joke. I'm not gaffing. It is legitimately a thing I was supposed to do. And I was very excited because it was the first time in town in more than 20 years. And what had happened is that a month and a half ago, uh, tickets went on sale. Uh, the room that in which they were recording in is very, very small. Uh, not recording, but performing in it. So um, it's about 180 people in there, max. Oh, boy. That was going to be a, a sweat box. 
yeah, a lot of Fago root beer going to be shot out tonight, probably. But uh, for some reason, the a lot of the shows got canceled, and so I got refunded my ticket. And only a couple of days ago was the show back on. But fool me once, Angelo. Shame on you. Fool me twice. I'm not buying your insane clown posse ticket. You won't get fooled again. Oh, my favorite bit though is that one of the opening ads was uh, Montreal's number one Limp Biscuit tribute band, aka Pimp Biscuit. Oh, how clever. It's okay, though, because I'm pretty sure some of the members also belong to Montreal's number one uh, corn tribute band, Porn. Oh, not so uh, No, no. Sadly, it is just uh, not that clever, not that fun. But yeah, instead of uh, going to might as well have called it Corn with a C. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So instead of seeing ICP, I'm here tonight with you uh, talking in the darkness on a microphone instead of enjoying myself uh, listening to some great rap music. But I'll, I'll live. Okay. Uh, you know what? I think it's safer to just podcast. Yeah, it's a lot less sticky when you consider how much Fago root beer they shoot onto the crowd during a regular show. So I'm, I'm willing to stay here. 180 people, though. That's, that's, that's like as intimate as a ICP show gets. Yeah, no, at this, at this point in the career is absolutely. And I think that like because Montreal is an untested market, no one is quite sure how much they would draw. Um, because they've toured the United States extensively. They've gone to Toronto and the West Coast, but Montreal really has eluded them in the past. And, uh, so they are here now, I guess, to start building a proper fan base and you got to start small, you know? Double density. So apparently people spend on average 6.5 hours a week reading email. Email's the worst. At this point, I, I I just wish people would just text message me or send me a message uh, through uh, Slack. Slack's really good. I wish we used that at work. Instead, we use a Skype for Business, which I, this is the second time I mentioned that today. Like, have you used Skype for Business? It used to be called Linked or Link or something like that. Do you know what yes. I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes, I have it at work, yes. And, and it's terrible. Uh, and they were supposed to kind of move it over to be like a, a more of a Slack clone, which... Even though if it's a Slack clone, I'll, I'll take that because we use Slack with Fireside from time to time. Pretty good, but way better than email. And I spend way too much time in email at work, especially. Well, I thought the whole idea of, of things like Slack and Link were to cut down on email, but they don't. No, they do not. And um, when I came back from vacation, I had several hundred email to answer. And I came so close to uh, using this productivity trick I heard about once. I think it was a developer of some kind. Look, I'm butchering this story probably, but there was a developer once and he was away for a month and they had asked him, well, what do you do with all the requests you get via email? Because that's super easy to handle that. When I get back, I have this key combination I use and it handles everything. And it was uh, control A and then delete. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because a city councilor in the borough I live in here in Montreal uh, did the same trick. And I don't know how I feel about that. When uh, your away message literally will tell you that I, uh, you're going to delete my correspondence with you uh, upon your return. Wow. That's, uh, what does he get paid for? Exactly. Yeah. It is a very ballsy move, my friend. And so it was a little surprising. I, I, to, I think it was her to see her uh, act in such a manner, considering that uh, her salary is paid by taxpayers. And like, so with email, there's a few things that, that will set anything off. In my case, it's when something's marked urgent with like the little exclamation point and it says urgent in the title. And then when you finally read it, because you get to it before everybody else, it is nothing urgent at all. And it's basically like everybody else's email. I do feel like uh, the misuse of the uh, urgency or high importance uh, trigger uh, in my inbox is very, very annoying. But thankfully, I'm not one of those. I very, I use it very, very rarely. I don't know about you. 
I, I, I can count on one hand how often I've used that. And every, every single time it's been urgent. Yeah. In the last year, I'd say I probably used it twice total. Yeah. I, in my entire career at my current job, I've used it maybe five times. How much of your days is, is uh, taken up by email? At least an hour, yeah. if not longer. Yeah, that sounds about right. But I am I am very proud to say that at the end of each day, uh, before I leave, it's inbox zero. Inbox zero is the goal, my friend. And inbox zero is what I aim to do at the end of every one of my days, too. So I applaud you for being able to do that. Uh, I just, you know, uh, don't pay attention to the emails being sent to me and just mark them red sometimes. You know how it goes. Yeah, that's well, that's how I get to inbox zero. You just, yeah, like tomorrow's <laughs> Angela will deal with this. I, I'm pretty efficient. I have a lot of uh, quick text set up as well because I get a lot of repeat questions. So I just type in a word and it brings up a whole email and I send that off. Uh, so how often do you use that, would you say, in your correspondences? Because I feel like that's a good move. A good 50 to 60% of my correspondences are quick yeah. types. And, right. you, and you know exactly the questions I get because yes. we work together and you used to forward me emails sometimes. Yes, uh, also for work and for lols at the same time, too. Yes, yes, exactly. I feel like we're just on this email roller coaster first, like talking about, you know, Jason's email, now like email productivity. Uh, how much of your personal time is taken up by email? Not too much, actually. I don't really get that many personal emails. Uh, Gmail does a good job of filtering out a lot of stuff. And um, do you use in Gmail, and here's a quick tip for Gmail users, do you use the uh, the different types of emails you get and they get spread out over different categories? I do, yes. I find that extremely useful because I know if I get stuff in social, it's basically some uh, like a notification from Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and I just automatically delete it because I'll eventually see it somewhere else. All of your unused MySpace messages go there? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, forum posts as well and stuff like that. Like I don't care about that stuff and it's perfect. It filters it out. And it's really great at uh, spam filtering. Uh, Spam's pretty much a thing of the past at this point. Uh, I tend to get one to four a week. In your Gmail? Yeah. Not really, in my through. inbox, but in the spam folder. Oh, no. In the spam folder, I get several hundred a week, if not more. Where do you, how do you do that? How, where does your email live? I don't know, but I get several hundred per week. Do you ever read them for lulls? I go for through them quickly to make sure nothing's gone through there by accident. But um, here, podcast experiment. Give me a second. I will go into my Gmail and let you know how many current spam messages I have. I have 54 spam. Wow. Wow. Okay. Let's see. My education connect. Love swans. Cash consignment. Urgent delivery. You should click on that one, dude. That's money. I have, and a lot of them are repeats. Hello, confirm your unsubscribe, please. You should do that. How does that work? I unsubscribed. I do not want to talk to you anymore. You should definitely do that, dude. Watch out. Unsubscribe. A lot of these say unsubscribed. Really weird. I don't understand how so many spam messages, but this Gmail address is over like 15 years old at this point. Well, so is mine, but... Huh. Odd. Very odd. I guess I'm just really good at the internet versus you, you pleb. I guess, I don't know. You're supposed to put your email address in every message field you see, right? Yeah, everything you see on the internet deserves to have your email address inputted into, no matter what it is. That's a double density PSA. Double density. Moving on from our personal inboxes to something a little more wide-ranging, um, certain internet service providers are tired of uh, media companies and their takedown notices and how many they send on a daily basis. I've never actually received anything from my ISP. Um, also, keep in mind, we're Canadians, so in 
it's a little bit more of a gray area here where uh, American companies don't have as much as a grip on us when it comes to like being able to just sue us for downloading their music and stuff like that. But um, I have friends who have received these these takedown notices and they seem scary, but the ISP is basically also saying that we're just forwarding this to you. There's nothing much we can do about it. Yeah, uh, maybe your co-host has dealt with that before. Uh, I didn't want to say anything, Brian, but yes, I know you've dealt with this before. I think we've talked about this on the podcast once before because my statute uh, like six months was up. So basically I received an email from my ISP saying, hey, the company that uh, is alleging that you've downloaded um, this content that is theirs, we're going to keep your uh, information on file for six months. And if at the end of six months nothing's happened, then we flush it from the system. Uh, So this happened a while ago. Yeah, so I got... Um, flushed for an alleged uh, illegal download. Uh, I know exactly what you downloaded. Too. Yeah, well, allegedly downloaded, Angelo. Come on. Allegedly downloaded a show yes. about technology. And yes. How, it being very funny. Anyways, so the, it's a, uh, the new story that, uh, that we're talking about here is from the register.co.uk uh, and it's about it in uh, a Texas-based ISP called Grandia Communications, all about how they are tired of playing middleman and copyright police uh, for... Um, the music industry in particular this time around. So they're complaining that they're kind of stuck in a bind. Um, and I'm going to quote directly from the article. The end result at Grand Communications argues is that it is put in an impossible position, either terminate subscribers based on unverified allegations of infringement or face litigation for the secondary infringement of thousands of copyrighted works. So, right. So um, these, uh, so the music industry, the film industry, the TV industry, the hire these uh, sort of middlemen who file takedown notices day after day after day, right. And route them to different ISPs. And sometimes the volumes are quite staggering. Um, and a lot of these smaller ISPs don't necessarily have the uh, infrastructure in place in order to deal with this. Well, they they also go on and mention that like they can't prove that anybody's downloading copyrighted tracks, and that it they like apparently there's hundreds of thousands of examples of music being downloaded every day. That's mind boggling. I believe it. I, I I think still in 2018, even with all of the different services, there are certain people who like to physically, quote unquote, physically. I guess uh, that's an odd way of saying it, but like have a digital copy of something um, close to them. Yeah, I, I mean, if something, let's say I log out of my Apple Music, like anything I've downloaded from there just magically disappears from everywhere. Uh, so even though you have downloaded the file, it is uh, it basically becomes rendered inaccessible and your phone and computer or whatever can just write over it as quickly as they please. Right, I think that's, um, and I think this is not the first time that an ISP has argued this, that there's just too much paperwork in order for them to be able to sort of even begin to process a lot of this stuff, right? Well, this this falls into like the not my job category. Yeah, and I mean like once again, like the ISP is saying that they're not the copyright police, and I do agree with them, they're not trained to be law enforcement. It's like blaming the electricity for any sort of uh, stolen copyrighted materials, right? It's just... It, it, or getting angry at uh, infrastructure if, like, for bank robbers using their streets to, like, get away from a robbery. Right. There needs to be a more effective way in which um, uh, copyright holders uh, can ascertain who these uh, supposed thieves are and how to deal with them without using an ISP as the middleman and without bogging them down with a ton of bureaucratic red tape. Look, I'm not one for pirating things. Says the man with the retro pie. See, that's, the, yeah, yeah, I guess that's more of a gray area. Uh, right. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I like a lot of this stuff, it, you wonder how much money are they actually losing considering the type of industry that it is. A lot of this music now, movies, things, it's become more accessible. So I'm of the opinion, if you make something accessible and easy to pay for and easy to get, 
the piracy goes down. I'm pretty sure piracy of music has like decreased exponentially since the days of Napster. It has definitely decreased. But the interesting thing is that the piracy in terms of um, movies and television has gone back up. It was kind of in a lull a couple of years ago. And I feel like it's a combination of people cord cutting and then picking certain streaming services but not having access to the same ones they did um, back in the day. So they feel like they need to go out there and get their missing media. I was about to say that uh, you're right, because it is a lot harder to get a lot of TV shows in the world. Like, in the U.S., it's the easiest, right? Because you can get all these services. But the thing is, is people get fatigued with all these streaming services. Right. And where am I supposed to download and legally watch Frasier? True. Um, it's not on Netflix. It's not, we don't even have Hulu here. Is it on anything, really? I have no idea. I do know that there are 11 seasons of DVDs sitting somewhere at my parents' place, and I can't figure out where I put them. So uh, until then, I guess I will be Frasierless and uh, living in a world where uh, he and his brother Niles do not argue uh, every episode. No toss salad, no scrambled eggs. Double density. I found something that I think you're going to find really interesting, Angela. I don't know if you've had a chance to play with this yet, but I found Windows 95 on a Mac. I didn't download it. I read the article. I think it's really neat but I don't want to sully my Mac with Windows 95. Wow. You don't want to play some uh, Solitaire? It's a, it's a joke. It's a joke. I Look, I have good memories of Windows 95. It was my first uh, real Windows uh, OS. I didn't uh, use Windows 3.1. I had DOS 5.0 oh. and uh, GeoWorks Ensemble. Right. I had, I had DOS 6 and Win 3.1 to start off with. Fun fact, I have an unopened box of uh, DOS 5.0 sitting at my desk uh, at work, which I brought with me from my old office, as well as a slightly opened uh, Windows 3.1 box. Are you going to go ahead and uh, auction off your unused box? No, but today uh, an IT uh, professional at work was uh, helping the person next to me install a new hard drive on our computer because where they came from, uh, their computers did not come with them. So they need a new computer. And when they turn all three of them, the three people that came from this office turned on their computers, none of their hard disks were. Oh, really? There was nothing on there. There was, they were just blank disks. And, uh, I offered my copy of windows 3.1, but the it professional said no. (laughs) And turned you away. No, he had a good laugh, actually, because he got my joke. And uh, here we are uh, talking about Windows 3.1 in uh, 2018, but really, we're talking about Windows 95 here. Yeah, it's kind of neat that you can run what was the entire OS now in a little uh, 129 megabyte app. It's Yeah, it's kind of crazy how far they've kind of condensed everything, right? It, it's crazy, and it takes up 200 megabytes of RAM. The only thing you need to note, though, is that you cannot open Internet Explorer. Oh, too bad. Yeah, I know. But you can use WordPad and you can use MSN Paint and also uh, play some Solitaire and Minesweeper. So at least you got that going. Well, that's the most important apps. Uh, or back then they were called programs in Windows 95. <laughs> uh, yeah, we invite everyone to go ahead and check that out. Uh, we're going to link it to a Verge article in the show comments, uh, in the show notes, to allow you to be able to go ahead and uh, see for yourself the joys of Win95, to relive the memories, uh, the love, the fear the anxiety, the anticipation of using a brand new OS. For all you Windows fiends out there, go ahead and hit the link. And the last thing tonight uh, that you want to talk about for this episode, Angela, is that you have a bit of a tale to tell us. And I'm going to sit back and I'm going to let you tell a quick story all about how your life got flipped turned upside down. I went to the Apple store this week. Very exciting. Wow. Uh, Because one of my AirPods was acting up and not working properly. All this after I said that my AirPods were working super well when I went on uh, RGBA. So you enter the building, you shake hands, you do the little sign of the Apple as you always do. 
No, I made an appointment and went uh, at the time of my appointment, saw a genius there who was very helpful. And there was a genius in training there. And um, they were testing my AirPods using my iPhone, obviously. And he's like, okay, I'll just open your music app and I'll test the music. And the first album that comes up was like a, uh, we had talked about the uh, DuckTales game that had come out. Well, that was, I downloaded the soundtrack to it. Uh, because the soundtrack was written by the same guy who did the soundtrack for Shovel Knight. So the girl uh, who was there, she was uh, a genius in training. Uh, she said, hey, you like video games. Have you ever watched uh, Games Done Quick? I said, I've been asked to watch it by the co-host of my podcast that I host. And she's like, you have a podcast? Yep, and we talk about old games. And then she asked me if I'd seen the guy who's done the bike stage from Battletoads. He's done it blindfolded. Oh, the Mexican runner. Yeah, oh, there we go. See, yes. of course you knew yeah. exactly what she was talking about. So she asked me about that. I said I hadn't seen it, but I'm sure my co-host Prophecy had. Prophecy fulfilled. And lo and behold, she was totally right. Prophecy fulfilled, my friend. But you had a good time there at the uh, Genius Bar? Yeah, unfortunately, my AirPods have, are out of warranty. So guess what? How much it costs to replace a left AirPod? I'm going to say triple digits. Yeah, 100 bucks. Uh, but they also suggested that even though I was out of warranty with Apple, that I should check with my credit card company because uh, they really can't replace it. But I could probably get it for free with my credit card company. And I'm in the process of working that out. And it's the first time I've ever done this. And it seems like an okay process. Scamming the system up in here. Good job, Angelo. I'm not scamming anything. It's part of having my credit card that they double the warranty of the Could you go ahead and just take it out of your wallet for me, please, and start reading off the digits? It's yep. four. Yep. Two. Yep. One. Great. Three. And the number in the back. Yeah, I need definitely need uh, that and the expiration date to uh, finish the transaction here. Yeah. The number in the yes. back is six. This feels like really six. sad bingo, but yeah. Perfect. Six. The number of the beast. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Apple Store vis- visit was great. They were very helpful, even though they couldn't just give me a new pair of AirPods, which I was hoping they would do, but I get it. My AirPods are actually almost two years old at this point. So at this point, you're still happy with your bridges? They still work fine. Um, What happened is actually the microphone in the left AirPod is dead. Uh, So sometimes it's having an issue where it doesn't connect, but it's relatively rare. It maybe happens like once a day when I put them in and then I just take them out of my ears, put them back in, they work fine. So it's really not something that wastes more than five or six seconds of my time, but it's annoying. Well, listeners, the good news is uh, you have to stop worrying about Angelo's daily uh, problems with his uh, AirPods as he uh, figures out a solution uh, to a nagging every day. Problem with that, my friend, I will see you on the paranormal side of things. See you there. My name is Ryan Sprague. When I was 12 years old, I saw something in the sky that I couldn't explain. And I've been searching for answers ever since. And now, I want you to join me on that search. As part of Entertainment One's podcast network, this is the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. Every week, I sit down with people in all walks of life to discuss UFOs, the paranormal and esoteric, and just plain weird. From the worlds of academia, psychology, theology, science and tech, entertainment and art, and everything in between. We dig deep back here on the ground to find those ever-elusive answers somewhere in the skies. New episodes every Monday available on all major podcast outlets and at somewhereintheskies.com. Remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. 
Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal. This week, first things first on the docket, something I wanted to talk about is uh, one of our listeners, uh, Stephen, uh, sent us over a tweet from the account Thomas underscore violence. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to link this uh, to this in the show notes because we want everyone to open up their app or, you know, their web page or whatever and go take a look alongside us and take a look at this graph, right? So it is a uh, spectrum. And on the left-hand side, in blood red, we got alien. And on the right-hand side, blood red, we got ghosts. And in the middle and in between are a bunch of different things. Are you ready to get into this? Yeah, because I don't think it's right. Okay, so explain why it's not right, then we'll get into the different things. There's more to the, the whole paranormal experience than uh aliens and ghosts uh and i don't feel like what happens in between really has anything to do with what he's put there yes okay area 51 that makes sense but illuminati doesn't really make sense in the middle bigfoot definitely doesn't make sense bohemian grove doesn't make sense going towards ghosts it's and then he has ghost ships all the way at the end before ghosts even though the thing is type called ghost i think um Steve Jobs, when he came back to uh, Apple, we should have a quadrant. So, okay. So, aliens. Aliens and ghosts left and right. Okay. Uh, underneath that conspiracy. Okay. And then crypt- cryptids. Okay. So, it's cryptids at the top? As I said, like I said, it. I think aliens on the top with ghosts next to it on the right. Underneath that, underneath alien would be uh, conspiracies. Right. And next to that would be cryptids. Okay. Okay. I can deal with that. I can deal with that. So let's go through this list, though. Okay, you ready for this? Yeah. On the left-hand side, uh, all the way at the left, on the alien side of things, we have aliens. Would you agree that aliens are alien? Well, yes. Okay. We're not qualifying or quantifying what these aliens are, just the fact that they are aliens. Exactly. Okay, perfect. After that, um, uh, uh, to the right of that, heading towards slowly in the middle, we have the Bermuda Triangle, which uh, is more alien than ghost. I believe I would think it's more ghost than alien. I, I would, like, if we're just, like, ignore my, my quadrant thing and put this in the middle, uh, and put this, I would put it in the middle. Really? I would put it way closer to ghosts. Yeah, no, I think it's kind of in, in between. So you believe that the aliens and the ghost people are working together to form the basis of the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah. Okay. Maybe put it at the, maybe, like, put it at the top, higher up, and then form a triangle. Like a food chain? Yeah. Right, right. Like the food pyramid of of yonder. The the food pyramid of the paranormal. <laughs> um, so just to the right of Illuminati, uh, of aliens, sorry, we have Illuminati, right? So uh, more alien than ghost. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel that fits you, there. Even though that you've looked at a dollar bill and you've seen the eye in the pyramid and you know that these sky people are working together with the government? Uh, I don't know about that. All right. Uh, which, so the next thing is, is kind of surprising. So we have aliens, the Bermuda Triangle, Illuminati, and then like slightly to the right of center, we have Area 51. More alien than ghost. But not that much more alien than ghost, which I think is weird. Nah, yeah, it needs to be like, that needs to be to the uh, left yeah. of the Bermuda yeah. Triangle. Is, is Area 51 haunted? I don't think so. No, this is like weird paranormal politics. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And of course, I think we need to underline everything by like, we're not taking this seriously at all. This tweet is definitely no, like Twitter content. All. It's definitely not a definitive source as to everything that's out there. Um, okay. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure uh, he wasn't either. Uh, I hope not. Let us move on. So starting on the right-hand side, we're edging our way slowly towards ghosts. We have Bigfoot. Yeah, makes no sense. You. So do you believe that Bigfoot is an alien... Uh, creation rather than a terrestrial creation that died he's neither he's he's if if bigfoot exists he's an animal right so he is neither here nor there he should be in the middle he should be under cryptids he, he cryptids should be. should not be on, this, on the spectrum your, <sighs> decidedly academic take on things uh 
Uh, to the right of that, um, so like right at the like 75% mark between Alien and Ghosts, we're closer to Ghosts, we have the only thing that we know exists on here. We have Bohemian Grove. Yes, and it makes no sense. Like, if anything, that should be closer to Illuminati. Yes, I definitely agree with you, and so would Alex Jones. Ugh. I know, I know. But, so, uh, you know that he snuck into uh, Bohemian Grove in 2000, right? Yes, you've uh, you've mentioned right. that before on the show. That was like his claim to fame. For the longest time, yeah. So, the, the Bohemian Grove, this secretive... Um, society of bad boys getting drunk and doing stupid stuff. There's owls everywhere. Sorry, Sam, for not alone. I'm sorry for mentioning owls, but I have to. Uh, a lot of imagery. I don't think it's ghost or alien. I do agree with you. It should be somewhere in the middle and closer to perhaps the Illuminati because I feel like they work in tandem. Yeah, exactly. And then all the way, sort of 90% of the way uh, towards ghosts is ghosts. Makes sense. Ghosts are ghosts. No, it doesn't because if you look after, it's... Uh here's 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 like a stick the, in the mud ghosts should be all the way to the right just like aliens are all the way to the left and then all of a sudden ghosts is not all the way to the right because all the way to the right is what ghost ships that makes no sense unless you consider the fact that they're talking about 2002's ghost ship that horror movie with uh juliana margulies it, it, was she really in that movie i think so all i really really remember of that movie is that there is a mud vein song in the soundtrack of course that's what you would remember all right hold on a sec let us uh, confirm here uh, you're right. Her and Gabriel Byrne. I know. And Carl Urban. I think it was her first... Carl Urban yeah, was Yeah, but he too? was like in a lesser... I just found out he's British. Oh, yeah? Welcome to the club. Yeah, friend, I know that. Or, sorry, mate, I guess would be the, the preferred nomenclature in that case. Yeah. So you disagree with ghosts being uh, further along than ghost ships. What if... But ghost ships are just gigantic ghosts, my friend, that contain many ghosts. It's, a, it's, a, it's an essence of ghost. All right, maybe uh, maybe you're winning me over with that one, but I still think my... I, I feel like I've beaten you down. I still think a quadrant would be much, much, much needed. <laughs> well, you know what? Can you like doodle this and then like we'll put it up in the show notes or we'll put it up on Instagram or something that like you, you can explain your new chart? Uh, we'll see. Okay. I uh, Please, Angelo, you're our only hope for this, so... But look, Area 51 would be like between in like the conspiracy alien area... Illuminati would be all the way towards the conspiracy. Bohemian Grove, probably like in the same area as, as Illuminati. I'd also probably like maybe do Illuminati slash Bohemian Grove. Bohemian Grove. <laughs> is that where, is this like a new resort that you're starting? I thought that would uh, slip past you. It but did I guess not. not just like the, the Mario <laughs> thing from a few weeks ago. I uh, noticed. Well, the thing is like, if you, if I cannot see you, I have to rely on my ears to hear you. So therefore I catch every nuance. Bigfoot, definitely not on this thing. He'd be nowhere near aliens or ghosts. He'd be like full on cryptid. Full on cryptid, my friend. And uh, I feel like this topic has run its course, more or less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think we're good. Once the words full on cryptid get uttered, uh, it's time to move on. Let us move on to the meat and potatoes of the paranormal section this week. And it is an article from the New York Times called They've Seen Things by Rosette Rago. And it is a really interesting look into uh, different L.A.-based UFO enthusiast groups. And it's a surprisingly long article. It really is. And it goes so uh, it goes into uh, basically like the sort of like the, the wire of the story is this guy, Robert Bingham, who's seen things, right? Yeah, he reminded me a bit of the the curse of the man who sees UFOs. Right. Yeah, the similar type of like cult of personality, right? So, um, he, there are like regular meetups, and then um, there's like intonation experiments where they 
uh, get together and uh, meditate or sort of like uh, visualize a UFO and then it appears? Now, I'm going to mention the obvious here, but what bothered me about the article is there's no pictures of all the pictures he said he has about UFOs, except for like some stuff you see in the background, sort of. And uh, the pictures that you see in the background where he's presenting them look like shriveled balloons. Oh, right. You're talking about the round orb and things like that? Like the little book he has? Yeah. There's one picture towards the end that really makes me laugh where um, one of the followers uh, shows a child what a particular alien looks like, but it kind of looks like a garbage bag being thrown or, or, or the like. Yeah, well, that's what I meant. Like, that looks like a balloon or like, uh, like a, you know, a child's mylar balloon. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like, actually. I don't, I don't understand what they think they're seeing or if he thinks he's actually calling out these UFOs. There's great pictures of people standing around staring at the sky uh, or uh, meditating for these things to come. So there's there's several things that I found really interesting about this article, because ostensibly this is an article about UFOs, but it's really about the people who believe in UFOs. And I find um, belief really interesting when it comes to uh, this sort of topic, right? Because there's so much we can cover and there's so much we can talk about. And there's also um, sort of like the whole range of like human emotion when it comes to these things. Um, and then there's also, of course, in the article, a mention of uh, Tom DeLong. So, you know. Uh, my uh, So one of the things I like the most about the article is the uh, correction that was made on August 14th. Which is? Uh, an earlier version uh, of this misstated Tom DeLong's role in uh, the Blink... I like how they say the Blink-182 band. He is the guitarist and singer, not the drummer. That's right. He is not um, Scott Rayner, nor is he Travis Barker. Nope. But yeah, so I mean, like, I wanted to get that out of the way to sort of like talk about some of the more um, uh, fundamental human aspects of this. Well, what's your feeling about this, Brian? I find it super interesting. I find it's, it, it, I find any time that you start to talk about the paranormal, um, it becomes a limiter in terms of how people view you societally, right? So um, when you start talking about like cryptids or UFOs or the like, right, there's a certain majority of the population who will view you in a certain light that is less um, than stellar. Yeah, it, it's just, I, I find it interesting when I mention to people that I talk about this on a podcast, but I always find myself also saying that, uh, I talk about it because I don't really believe in any of it. And I want to try and understand why so many people do believe in this. And stuff. I feel like this is a really good argument um, article for that, right? Exactly. It was just about to say, this is the perfect article for this type of uh, thought process when you're trying to figure out what is it that gets these people to believe in what they believe in. Um, and um, belief is a weird word because, uh, some people don't believe in UFOs. They know they've seen them. And a lot of those people will also say, I'm not saying it's an alien yeah. or anything like that. I just saw something weird. Yeah, exactly. And that's totally possible. And that I have no problem with because, yeah, you saw something weird. You're not sure what it was. The problems arise when people just start saying uh, automatically, they're aliens. Right. Or they're, they, you know, uh, interdimensional travelers, whatever. Well, I find it's really interesting at the end of the article where one of the uh, the participants in, in these um, hangouts says, you know, that they'll go back and look at footage from like a year old and they may change their minds on what it is, right, based on fact and based on, you know, having digested information, which I thought is a really humanizing way of sort of looking at things because I do think a lot of people in this field who make their bones in this field uh, double down at every single turn, right? And this article time and time again shows the human... Um, process in terms of like working through what they've seen and not necessarily coming to conclusions, but, you know, working through the process nonetheless. You're never sure what you're seeing. That's the problem with uh, automatically assuming 
UFOs are something uh, that is here visiting us and not something that's already here. And we're just not sure what it is. I do think too, that this article takes a kind of like spiritual look at ufology in a way that a lot of, um, uh, other pursuits or other, uh, UFO tribes as it were d- definitely do not do at the same time. Yeah. Much, much more, um, this, this article is much more focusing on almost like the Zen properties of what they're doing, uh, meditation, how it makes them feel when they're actually in the process of trying to conjure these UFOs into existence practically. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting the way in which like it, it definitely differentiates itself from the standard fare. And it's kind of interesting that the New York times decided to go through with this. I'm just glad they didn't bring up Stephen. Yes. Yeah. And his uh, C-SETI calling UFOs with the flashlights deal. Right. And I'm very glad with that too. They did bring up MUFON at one point, um, talking about how that's the largest organization, volunteer organization, right, in the country. But this is more of like a, a very micro kind of look at things, right? So you have uh, Mr. Bingham's group, the Indigo Army. Like there's a ton of like really different kind of like um, uh, splinter groups, I guess. Like it's a very interesting kind of societal and social aspect of ufology, right? It's kind of like finding your UFO tribe amongst all of the UFO tribes in the LA area. That's a really good way of looking at it. They are uh, these weird little offshoots of almost coming from the same group. It's, it's almost like a weird uh, version of Christianity. You know how like there's all different types of Christianity and here there's all different types of UFO watching groups. Right. And it's also not exclusionary because a couple of times in the article they mentioned people who go to multiple of these groups. It's not necessarily just confined to one, right? I, I kind of like that. They, there seems to be a lot of camaraderie amongst these people that... That's the problem with ufology, right? Uh, a lot of the old school ufologists argue so much. And if you have a different opinion from them, you're the worst of the worst. Right. And that makes me a little crazy. It's a it's a very constructive way of looking at uh, ufology in a way that like presents a problem, not necessarily a solution, but a context uh, and a construct by which you decide to start um, exploring these topics uh, without sort of settling into a, a definitive uh, methodology. I feel as we're getting, um, moving forward with this, there's younger ufologists and people looking at these topics that are a lot more open to different ideas, even the idea that UFOs aren't necessarily aliens. They're totally, they could be something else. They could be just misidentified objects, government projects, whatever. Like, uh, recent, recently Ryan Sprague had uh, Rob Christofferson on his show and that was such a really interesting conversation where they break down so much of the stuff that's wrong with ufology. Yeah, I agree that like, and we'll link to that uh, episode of the podcast in the show notes, but I definitely do think that like, it is a very enlightening conversation in terms of like what uh, ufology could be and what it currently unfortunately is. Right. It is really unfortunate, especially like all the infighting uh, that there is. It just gets tedious, especially for anybody trying to like break into the field as weird as the field is. Uh, there's a lot of resistance there from the old guard, so to speak. Yeah, I definitely do think that uh, there is a lot of history involved in not only the cases themselves, but the context by which they're investigating. And I think that like that is a lot of uh, difficult routes to navigate all at once if you're interested in uh, learning about it. It really is. Uh, and this this article, I must say, it's it's a it's a really good read for anybody who's interested in uh, even in a, in in the way I'm interested in ufology into trying to understand why people believe what they believe or what they're interested in seeking out when it comes to, um, in, in the case of these people, like seeing a UFO. Uh, I, I do find, what's his name, the, the guy who started this thing? Mr. Uh, Robert Bingham. 
Yeah. I keep thinking you're going to say Robert Bigelow. I find it a little cultish sort of weird. Yeah, I definitely do think there's a level of attachment there and a little of uh, a level of like reverence afforded to him because people keep saying like, oh, he makes things happen, um, which I find sort of a little unsettling. I definitely do agree. Because I, I was interested in knowing more about this guy and why people flock to him. And then again, I saw the stuff he took pictures of. And it's, um, I won't say it's a, like Billy Meyer level uh, <laughs> ridiculousness, but it, it's not great. Yeah, I, it's suspect. I definitely do agree that it's suspect. But I feel like this definitely has to do with something that we, we don't often talk about, which is the humanized aspect of of uh, uh, belief, right? Not necessarily just biblical belief, but any sort of belief in... Um, like a faith-based thing almost? Yeah, like uh, I, I, I'd be scared to say faith, but I'd, I'd, I'd be more inclined to say like, oh, that's a good question, Angela. Well, faith not in the religious connotation, just faith in like having, like, you know, I have faith uh, in my SM58 right, microphone right. that it's going to work because it's like really well made. Conceptual faith. And, and I do think the, the, the good thing too with the article is that it, it draws no conclusions about um, uh, whether or not these are fakes or real. And I think that like that is something that you were perhaps looking for. Yeah, that's my problem though. That's on me. Yeah, yeah. But I do find, <laughs> yeah. I, I find it very fascinating that like that these people dedicate their time, you know, as a hobby. And uh, sometimes that they uh, they have problems in terms of, of, of relating, right? So I have this quote here. Um, I'm going to quote directly from the article. Mallory Jackson, 26, who attends meetup hangouts led by Mr. Bingham and the Indigo Army, says she finds it difficult to maintain relationships outside the UFO community with people who might not be as understanding of her interests. So I think that like it's a hobby that can be time-consuming. I mean, we have a little podcast about it because we find it super interesting. And uh, you may kind of believe in it a little more than me, but we still uh, have uh, a high level of interest in it and in into why people see what they see and think they see what they see and why they research what they research. Like what makes one person super interested in Roswell, whereas one person will be interested in alien abductions. Right. It's, 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 there's so many, like you can have your own little line of uh, UFOs from like UFOs all the way to abductions right. on, you know, UFOs on the left, abductions right. on the and right. And I do think that like, that's a very important thing. It's all relative too. And I think at the end of the day, that like, that is something that we do uh, tend to forget in the field. Um, and in these fields of research is that like, it's, it's all very relative, right? Like there's no empirical way. There's no right and wrong way of investigating UFOs. Are there preferred ways? Are there ways that I think are better? Absolutely. But I think that's also um, a question of like personal preference at the end of the day too, in terms of like what I seek out and what I want to learn about versus someone else. Right. Absolutely. Are are you planning a trip to Los Angeles anytime soon soon to uh, participate in this? I was thinking maybe next year sometime, um, perhaps in the fall. Honeymoon, yeah, maybe? Yeah, Honeymoon? exactly. Good idea. I do feel like everyone should go ahead and uh, check out that article. It's sort of like, uh, it gives a different kind of angle to a lot of uh, what is spoken about these days, and it's less about information dissemination and more about the people involved in the process and their, their fears and their excitement and their faith and belief, too. So I think it's it's worthwhile reading, right? And it's in the New York Times, and they're talking about UFOs again. That 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 in and of itself uh, would have been a paranormal experience yeah, just a exactly. few years ago. And with that, we are drawing episode 71 of the Double Density Podcast to close. Angelo, how are you feeling right now about all of this? I'm um, pretty excited. Uh, this is a really interesting episode, and I really like that you found this article because uh, I like seeing the side of, dare I say, the phenomenon of UFOs. Ooh, it's what interests me the most about the paranormal, why people believe what they believe in, even though there's no actual proof. 
of what they're thinking they saw. Absolutely. If anyone has any more articles in the same vein, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet them at us at double underscore density. You can hit up facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram and head over to double density.net. Click the contact button and send your links our way. Uh, you can also click on the host page to see our pasty uh, summary white faces. Uh, and you can find out all of the different ways in which you can subscribe to our podcast. Right, Angelo? Yeah, and if you think I'm wrong for not believing in this stuff, uh, let me all know. All caps. Tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, all caps. All caps, yeah. All caps is good. Uh, market urgent. And uh, I'll, I'll get to it right away. Perfect. And with that, Angela, we are... Control A, delete. <laughs> we are bringing things here to a close on this episode of Double City. Tune in next week as we explore conspiracies. Do they exist or not? Very vague, very on the nose. Angela, I'll see you next week. See you next week. Hold on a sec, just moving the cat. Wow.